Would you stand together today for the reading of the word of the Lord? I'm going to read from Genesis 32 today, verses 24 through 32. Familiar story. Jacob wrestling with what I would call a theophany or wrestling with God and their different views and we may talk a little bit about that as we go through this. But Genesis 32 verse 24 says this, Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said, your name, he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore to this day the sons of Israel did not eat the sinew of the hip which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of of the hip. So I want to preach for just a little while today on this thought and question. Is it worth the struggle? Is it worth the struggle? God bless you. You may be seated. We live in a a world that wants everything done right away. A quick fix mentality. And I was on a call, actually, on Thursday, a chamber, Olathe Chamber of Commerce call, and we did these breakout sessions, and the question for the first session, the first breakout session was, and these are like kind of icebreaker, get-to-know-you type questions, was if you had only one appliance, what would it be? If you could have only one appliance, and immediately, my mind went to two things. It wasn't a washer or dryer, anything like that. That, that wasn't the top of my list. But I was debating between a microwave or a refrigerator. And ultimately, I, I decided on the refrigerator because I like iced tea. And if you don't have ice then or you don't have cold tea, it's not iced tea. It's lukewarm tea or hot tea. But, but my other choice was the microwave because, man, you can do a lot with the microwave. And it's quick, and you can just, man, just get it. In a brief period of time, we actually have an instant pot. Anybody have an instant pot? Have you discovered that it's not instant? It takes 522 minutes to actually get it ready to cook. And so it takes a long time. It's not instant, but we want everything right away. We want to get everything in the shortest period of time. Uh, When I was in college, and I I went to college a little late, I I did a speed reading course because you've got to read faster to get more stuff done. I don't think I learned anything in that speed reading course because it took too long to do it. I also did a photo reading course where you just look at the page. You don't actually follow it. You like just look at the page, and you're supposed to be able to take, take this imprint in your mind. 
that didn't work either. But always looking for quick fixes, always wanting everything quicker and faster, and that's just the way we have our mindset. And we take that quick fix mentality oftentimes into our relationship with God. When we have needs, we want everything right now. We want every need solved right this minute. We can't wait on tomorrow. We can't wait on next week. It's got to be right now. And if God doesn't answer our need right now, frequently we give up and decide that it's not worth it or maybe he's not going to do it instead of waiting on God. Isaiah said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary. They shall run and not faint. But it's about waiting on him and allowing God to be at work in us. We pray five minutes and we want an hour result. We, we, we spend a little bit of time and go, Lord, I need this. This is what I want. And then we expect everything just to take care of itself. We want to fast between meals. I'm good at fasting between meals most days. We fast between meals and then we want miraculous power. We want God just to come down and supernaturally go, man, you didn't eat for three whole hours. But it doesn't work that way. We, we have to put time in with God. We have to spend time in His Word. We have to spend time in prayer. We have to spend time abstaining from the things of the world so that we can hear from Him. It takes time and it is not a quick fix. If you're like me, I've prayed numerous times for my food before I eat. And then about five minutes later, like, man, did I actually pray for my food? I can't remember. Sometimes people have to tell me, yeah, you prayed for your food because it's just this little perfunctory thing that we do. It just becomes commonplace. We're not really serious about it. And oftentimes it's that way with God. We're not serious about our prayer. We just want to pray, and if God answers, great. If he doesn't answer, great. But my question is, what do we do when it doesn't happen when we want it to or on the timeline that we want it to happen? Is following God and is seeking him worth the struggle is the blessing that you're after is the the provision that you need is it worth the struggle of spending time with God God's blessings are for us God desires to bless us God does not desire to withhold blessings from us he desires to bless us he he came so that you and I would have salvation that is the greatest blessing he came to bless us. He wants to bless us, but he never or seldom does it on our schedule, on our timeline, and in the way in which we expect. And so it takes faith to continue to seek him. It takes faith to continue to walk with him, waiting on God's timing. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, if, if men would give good things to their kids, if, they, if a father, he wouldn't give his son a scorpion or a serpent when he's asking for bread. He wouldn't give him a scorpion if he's asking for fish. He says, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He wants to bless us. He wants to give us what we need, but it's in His timing. It's in His plan, and it's not always on our timeline. But I would tell you this, that God's blessings are always to fulfill God's 
purpose. It's not for our selfish benefit. He doesn't bless us so we can say, man, look how blessed I am. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing, or he blesses us to be an example of what he wants to do in the world to those who need him. God functions in a different economy. We lay up treasure in heaven. It's not money. But it's about where, what we value and valuing the things of the kingdom. And when we do things God's way, then we lay up treasures in heaven. That's the way God works. He says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give to your bosom. That, that in God's economy, sowing into the kingdom reaps benefits back to us. It's the way it works. Spending time with God results in God using us. Spending time with God results in God's favor and God's power being on our life. Spending time with God results in God's blessings coming upon us. And so from the story of Jacob wrestling with God, I, I want to draw some conclusions from that story and apply them to our life. But before I do that, I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory of Jacob. Many of you I'm sure know the backstory. Jacob is a twin. He is the second born twin. His brother Esau, just a couple of moments before Jacob is born. And, and his mother had had a dream. She'd had a word from the Lord that the elder would serve the younger. And so when, when Jacob comes out of the womb, he's holding on to the heel of his brother Esau in essence, trying not to let him get too far away and to maybe even try to pull him back and try to pass him up. That was Jacob's nature, always trying to get ahead at the expense of someone else, specifically his brother. And his name, Jacob, means deceiver. And he is, of course, very deceptive. He takes his brother's birthright, and, and really, I guess, his, his birthright was given to him, but he, he kind of conned him into it. When his brother Esau had come in from hunting and famished, Jacob had a big pot of stew there, and he's ready, I mean, he's ready to eat, and he's talking about how great this is. And Esau, famished, couldn't wait just a little bit longer. He didn't have an instant pot. And so he, for a bowl of stew, he sells his birthright. He despised, the Bible says, his birthright. And a birthright in the, in the Old Testament times and even into the New Testament times meant that the oldest child would get a double portion of the blessing. An older, the oldest child would get twice as much as all of the other children. In this case, there's only two of them. So Esau was going to get two-thirds and Jacob was going to get one-third. But with that birthright came some responsibility, which means that the person that receives the birthright has to take care of the family. It's not just... Two-thirds just because you're the first, but it's two-thirds because you now have your one-third, plus you've got to take care of everybody else that's still alive. And Esau despised that, and Jacob takes that from him, and then Jacob steals his blessing. When Isaac is getting ready, at least they think that he's going to die. In fact, he lives a long number of years after this event in the story, the biblical story. But when they think he's getting ready to die, he's losing his sight. He's ready to pass out the blessing that comes from the patriarch. And because Jacob is the favored son of his mother, she kind of helps him out and tells him how to deceive Isaac so that he can get the blessing. And he does this. 
He comes in, he's wearing goat skin on his, on his arms to be hairy like his brother and to smell like the fields. And He's trying to trick Isaac and it works. He gets the blessing from Isaac and when Esau finds out, Jacob has to flee. He flees and he's on the way to Laban's house, which is his mother's brother. It's his uncle Laban. He's on the way there and he stops for the night. And he goes to sleep with his head on a rock. And as he's sleeping, he has a vision of heaven. And in the vision, there's a a ladder that comes down from heaven. And there's angels going back and forth on this ladder. Ascending and descending, the Bible says. And Jacob awakens in the morning. He says, surely God was in this place and I knew it not. And he names the name of the place Bethel, which means house of God. What you see in this story, and I'll just pause here for a moment, what you see is that names mean things. We're going to see three different names come up later in the text that I read to you. But Jacob, it means deceiver, and Bethel, it's house of God, because God was there. God was dwelling there, and the Bible places a great emphasis on the origins of names and why they are there. And He makes his way, Jacob does, to his uncle Laban's house, and he sees Rachel, the youngest daughter of Laban, and he wants to marry her, and he makes a deal with Laban, and Laban says, work seven years, and then you can have her. And You know the story. He works seven years. They have a great wedding ceremony. He wakes up the next night, the next morning after his honeymoon night. The Bible says, in the morning, it was Leah. Then he wakes up, and it's not the bride that he thought he married. It was the sister In fact, the Bible kind of implies it was the ugly sister. He wakes up with the the other sister, the older sister, and Laban says, Laban's quite the deceiver as well, just like Jacob is. He says, well, it's our custom. The older, the younger sister can't marry before the older, so you had to have her if you're going to have one. And then he says, well, I still want Rachel. He says, you have to work another seven years. And so they wait through the time of the honeymoon period, and then Jacob marries uh, Rachel, and then he has to work an additional seven years to pay off that debt of getting the second daughter. You know all of this, and you, you, you know that then Jacob falls out with his, his uncle Laban, and he decides he's going to go back to his homeland. But he knows that Esau is still upset. Esau is mad. Esau was wanting to kill him. And so he makes all kinds of plans. And he begins his journey to back to his family. And on the way back to his family is the text that you and I read earlier. Because he is worried about his brother killing him. He, he comes up with a strategy and he comes up with a plan on how to handle this. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send all of the family, I'm going to send the servants, and they're going to take great gifts. And then I'm going to send the family, and they're going to take more gifts. And hopefully by the time I arrive, Esau's anger has been cooled off, and he is now ready to to deal with me. And in that setting, when everybody's gone, Jacob is alone The Bible says that there wrestled with him a man. I would tell you that I I think that it's a theophany, and a theophany is a visible or a physical manifestation of God. It is an appearance of 
God in a human form in this case. But the, the points that I want to bring out of this, the first one is this, that blessings come when we desire them. Blessings come when we really want something from God. It doesn't come just by, just, it just happens. It's not just a coincidence. It's not just a happenstance, as some would say. But blessings come when we desire them. Jacob was a man in need. His brother wants to kill him. He's left alone. And he spends time, I don't really know what, the Bible doesn't tell us what he's doing. The Bible doesn't tell us how any of this takes place. But what I can tell you is this, when we desire blessings from God, God shows up. When we have a need, God shows up. And it's easy for you and I to desire blessings from God when we want something. Anybody need God to do something for them? Provide something for them? Anybody got a bill you can't pay? It's like, man, it's easy to desire God to bless you in those moments. Oh, God, I need your provision. Those are easy times whenever we have a great need. But let me ask you this. Do you just want more of Jesus? That maybe the blessing is not a physical thing and maybe the blessing is not a relational thing and maybe the blessing is just that you have a closer relationship or a closer walk with Jesus. It's a little more difficult to spend the time to get that closer walk with Him. But when we're in need, I can spend a lot of time in prayer. But when things are going good, I don't spend near the time in prayer that I should because I'm not as focused on getting close to him as I am whenever I need him to do something and give something to me. And at the end of the day, only God can give us the desire to know him more. Only God can cause us to want to know him. The Bible says in John 6 that no man comes to the Father except the Spirit draws him. That when you come to Jesus Christ, it's not because you just woke up one morning and said, man, I think I just want to get to know Jesus today. None of that is in a vacuum. It's only when the Spirit of God is drawing us to Him that we come to know Him. People have all kinds of debates about the sovereignty of God and free will and, and can we come to God on our own. The reality is you can't come to God on your own. But what's also true is that God is in the process of drawing you when you don't even recognize it, when you don't even see it, that he's pulling you to him. And because he's pulling you to him, you can say, man, I, I just want more of Jesus. I want to know Jesus because he's giving you the desire for him. Just like he wants to bless us, he gives us the desire to know more of him. How does God give us desire to, to want to know more of him? Sometimes he gives us glimpses of his glory. Sometimes he just, he allows us to experience his presence and experience his power. And because of that, we're drawn to that. We want to know more of him. Have you ever been going through life and, and you, everything's perfectly fine and then you see something and now all of a sudden you want that? You didn't even know you needed it. You didn't know you wanted it. And then you saw it. It's what Apple did with the smartphone. You didn't even know you needed a smartphone. But they figured out a way to make you want a smartphone. 
to tell you how bad your life was if you didn't have a smartphone. Specifically an Apple. An iPhone. Well, I would tell you that's what God does. We don't even know we need Him. We don't even know we want Him. And then all of a sudden He comes and He works in our lives. Or we come into His presence and we're like, Man, I didn't know I needed that. I, I didn't know I wanted that. But now that I've experienced it, now that I've seen the effects of His Spirit moving, I want that. That's the way God works. Is he, he gives us a little glimpse of His glory and He draws us to Him by, by what He's doing in our lives. And you've heard me say it over and over and I'm going to keep saying it because it's true. It's the, it is the pattern of the book of Acts. Preach the gospel. Okay. And then signs and wonders follow and people go, man, I want that. If, if believing that about Jesus will, will give me a miracle and believing that about Jesus will get me to heaven, man, I want that. They don't want it because the message is so great. They want it because they see the power and the presence of God at work, and they're like, man, that's what I need. God gives us the desire for him by showing us glimpses of his glory as he draws us to him. Jacob had had a glimpse of God's glory at Bethel. He had seen and experienced God's presence and that vision that he has. And in the middle of him sitting there waiting until the next day. The Bible just says, and there wrestled a man. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now the Bible only tells us what we need to know. God doesn't leave out anything we need to know, and he doesn't put stuff in there that we don't need to know. But it's just, Jacob is alone. And then there's a man there. How, how does it happen? I don't know if a man comes walking up. I don't know if he just appears out of thin air. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe it's a, a man walks up, he's a stranger, and he wants to be warmed by the fire. And How does this wrestling match start? Maybe you don't need anything but two guys to get together. Hey, let's wrestle. That's what boys do, right? Girls never do that. They might get in a fight, but they're never wrestling for fun. I, so I don't know. Maybe the man, hey, I, let's wrestle, and if I win, you don't get a blessing, and if you win, I'll bless you. I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us those details, and we could spend a lot of time speculating. But I would tell you that however it happened, Jacob had no other hope at this moment. He says, I'm not giving up until I get a blessing. I'm not going to pass up this opportunity to receive something that is going to help me. I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to get God at work in my life. And, and I would tell you that God initiates this moment. Jacob can't make a man show up. Jacob can't make somebody come out of thin air he can't make a stranger come by god initiates this because he wants to bless him that's the way god works it's not jacob's idea this is god's idea so that at the end of this jacob will have a blessing the bible tells us the story of solomon solomon when he becomes king after the death of his father david the Bible says that God shows up to Solomon in a vision. 
Now understand, a vision, you don't create a vision. This is given by God. God shows up in a vision, and in the vision, God says to Solomon, I'm going to give you two choices. You can choose riches, or you can choose wisdom. And in the vision, Solomon, who's not really making this choice, this is God showing him this, Solomon in the vision chooses wisdom. And God says to him, because you have chosen wisdom, I'm going to give you riches also. Understand what's going on there. God is saying, I'm going to give you a choice, and I'm going to tell you what choice to pick. Because I really want to bless you. I'm giving you two choices. You get two blessings. But if you make the right choice, you get it all. You can have riches or you can have wisdom and riches. Choose wisely. But understand, it's not just Solomon making this choice. God is making the choice and the vision that he shows him. So what do you think Solomon does? He chooses wisdom because God's already told him when you get wisdom, you're going to get it all. God wants to bless us. He shows up so he can bless us. He, he comes into our lives so he can bless us. He wants to bless us. He wanted to bless Jacob. Jacob doesn't get a blessing at the end of this passage, and end of this story, against the will of God. He only gets the blessing because God wants to give him the blessing, and God wants to bless you and I. We only get blessings when we desire them. When we get that glimpse of God's glory and that glimpse of God's presence or that need comes into our life and we're saying, I need this. It doesn't come when you don't desire them. Secondly, I would tell you this, and I'm hurrying. Blessings come when we are persistent or when we persist with them. I mentioned that we live in a world of quick fixes. God does not work that way. God doesn't just say, oh, you want a blessing? Here it is. Now, sometimes he does. Let me correct that. Sometimes God just blesses us on the spur of the moment. But what this passage tells us, God doesn't just show up and say, here, Jacob, here's a blessing. That oftentimes the blessings of God come when we persist in them. Persistence is defined as to continually and resolutely continue in something. Continually and resolutely continue in something, which means not giving up. God is not an answer boy who jumps when we ask for something, but he gives us what we need when we are persistent. The parable of the widow and the unjust judge I'll read it to you. It says now, and this is Luke 18. He says now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Saying in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, otherwise by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said, 
Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This unrighteous judge, because this widow kept coming, finally said, all right, I'll give you what you want. And God says, I'm not going to delay a long time. I'm going to take care of this. But Jesus closes with that question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Will he find faith? And what he means is, will people continue to have faith even though they didn't get it right away? Will they continue to have faith even though what you needed didn't come right in the moment? Will you still have faith? Will you persist? Jesus tells another parable in Luke 11 of a man seeking bread. And he said to him, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, he doesn't even come to the door. He just yells from inside, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Just to interject this here, I either should have already quit or we've got to hope it doesn't rain when I'm done. He will not give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. I don't want to get too technical, but the verb form of ask and seek and knock, it is what's called a durative present, which means it is always a continually seeking and asking and knocking. It's not like I knocked a couple times, but it's to continue to do that. Knock until the door is open. Seek until you find. Ask until it's given to you. That's what he's saying. Keep doing it. Be persistent. And if you are persistent, you will get what you need from me. This theophany touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, the Bible says. It touched his hip joint. I can't imagine the pain uh, of having a hip dislocated. I imagine it's excruciating pain. I've seen people with their shoulders that have been dislocated and fingers dislocated and but if your hip is dislocated, it's kind of hard to walk. It's kind of hard to stand up. It would be real difficult to wrestle with somebody with a dislocated hip. So imagine this pain that, that Jacob is in, but he still persists because he wants a blessing. That he's not giving up because he wants his blessing. It's not just a quick fix. My question is for you, will you persist no matter how long it takes to get what you need from God? Will you persist till you get the healing that you need? Will you persist until you get the blessing that you need? Will you persist until you get the, the financial miracle that you need? Will you persist until you get the relationship that you need? 
Will you persist? No matter what it takes. No matter the pain you have to go through. No matter the struggles that you have to. Is it worth the struggle to get your blessings? I think I've told this story before, but I prayed for the fruit of spirit. In fact, it was when Crystal and I were dating, and I'd prayed for the fruit of the Spirit, and I was delivering mail, and I'm just bawling and crying and praying for people all around this, this neighborhood as I'm delivering mail, and, and I really couldn't figure out why I was feeling so burdened, and I, and I said, God, what is this? He said, well, you prayed for the fruit of the Spirit. This is how it comes. This is what you've asked for. And I was like, Lord, it's worth the burden for you to do in me what I need you to do. Will you persist for the blessing? Thirdly, blessings come when we persevere for them. Perseverance is different than persistence in that it involves overcoming difficulty. Talked about and I'm going to skip a lot of this, but we talked about his pain and his, his leg and what that could have been like. But Jacob was there to win. He wasn't there just to go through a difficulty. He wasn't there to have a wrestling match and walk away not getting what he needed, but he was going to persevere through the pain of his leg, through the pain of his hip. There's an acronym, people called PUSH, pray until something happens question is when we have a need or we have a blessing that we need will we pray until something happens will we push through no matter what Winston Churchill one year after the end of the battle for Britain October 1941 he was delivering a commencement speech at his alma mater and in that speech, he said this, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing. Great or small, large or petty. Never give in. And he put some disclaimers on that. But I would tell you when it comes to the things of God and what you need from God, never give give in never stop short of getting what you need from god never give in when the prayer doesn't get answered as soon as you want it to never give in when the blessing doesn't come right when you want it when you prayed and the answer hasn't come never give in when you the relationship isn't where you want it to be never give in when the enemy's still fighting you never give in when you're fighting condemnation never give in so I would tell you, put your own problem in the blank and speak it and say, I'm never giving up. I'm never giving in. Whatever you need from God, never give in. As musicians come, say this final thing. Blessings come when we decide the struggle is worth the blessing. 
the whatever we need from God when we decide it's worth whatever we have to go through to get it. That's when it comes. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob or deceiver, but it shall be Israel. For you have striven with God and man and you have prevailed. And people say that Israel means a prince who has power with God. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I've seen God face to face. And it means the face of God. That's what the name means. I have seen him face to face, yet my life has been preserved. He sees this theophany face to face. Moses asked to see God's glory. The the Bible says that he only got to see the hinder part. And Jacob says, man, I've wrestled with God. And I'm still here. My life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he, that is God, touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. That from that day on, Jacob walked different. It wasn't a momentary dislocation. It wasn't a momentary problem. The rest of his life he walked with a limp. So much so that all of Israel looked back at that moment and said when we're eating the animals we're not going to eat that piece of the animal in remembrance of what God did with Jacob. But I would tell you that for Jacob, limping for the rest of his life, probably having pain for the rest of his life, probably on days like today, feeling the pain when the weather changes, it's rainy or it's cold, that for Jacob, the blessing was worth what he had to endure. It was worth the all-night wrestling match. It was worth limping the rest of his life because God blessed him. Are you willing to be different? Are you willing to be changed? Is the blessing of being in relationship with Jesus Christ worth the change? Is it worth the struggle? Is it worth enduring? Difficulty? Is it worth enduring conflict? Is it worth enduring people talking about you and making fun of you maybe or not understanding what's going on in your life? Is it worth struggle? I'm a sports fan. I don't know that I've ever really seen this, but, but I've heard that Joe Namath, when he finished playing professional football he can barely walk minimize he does a lot of commercials and you see him a lot but 
you almost never see him actually walking. The playing the game of football took a toll on his knees, damaged his knees, and forever walked different. So maybe for Joe Namath, the fame and the, the fortune and the fun of playing the game was worth what he's dealing with. I don't know. I've been dealing with an injury, two injuries actually, for some 27 months now. And that one hour of basketball, I can tell you, was not worth the problems that I've had. But when it comes to spiritual things, I'll tell you that it's always worth the struggle. It's always worth however long it takes to pray, and it's always worth the fasting, and it's always worth spending time with God, and it's always worth whatever we have to endure. The early church, they were people of supernatural power through the Holy Spirit. Paul, Acts 9, when, when he has this salvation moment, he sees this great light and he's blinded and he hears a voice but sees no man and then God speaks to Ananias and said Ananias there's this guy Saul he's coming to see you and Ananias is like man I know about this guy he's been killing Christians I don't want to talk to him God said he is a chosen vessel unto me and then he says this little phrase I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name. I don't know that I want that to be part of my calling. I've called you to do stuff, and I'm going to show you what great things you're going to suffer. And did he indeed suffer? He lists these out in 2 Corinthians. The number of times he was beaten with stripes and beaten with rods, and he stoned and he shipwrecked. And ultimately, he would lose his life by beheading. But he's the one that said that Jesus appeared to me as under one out of due season. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't the normal time for Jesus to be here, but he came and showed up to me. I got to see Jesus face to face, he says. Spend time with him personally after the ascension. Who else can say that? He said, I was called up into the third heaven and saw great things that I can't utter and I can't even tell you about. They were so great. And if that's not enough, he gets to spend an eternity with Jesus. So I would tell you, for, for Paul, it was worth the struggle. It was worth the beatings and the stonings and the stripes on his back. It was worth all of that to spend an eternity with Jesus. The rest of the apostles, those men and and women of supernatural power, it didn't come from free. They were persecuted. They left their families. They left their homes. They left everything to follow Jesus. And with the exception of John, they were all killed. So is your family being saved worth the struggle? 
your backslidden children worth the struggle? Is the blessings of God worth the struggle? Is the peace of God worth the struggle? Is joy worth the struggle? Is power with God worth the struggle? Is healing worth the struggle? Whatever you need from God, you just need to ask yourself and fill in the blank, is it worth the struggle? Would you stand... preached a little longer than I intended, but I would tell you that the answer to all of those questions is, yes, it's worth the struggle. The blessings of God are always worth whatever it takes to get them. Whatever you have to endure to get them, it's worth that. Because the blessings are always greater than the problem. Would you lift your hands right now where you are? Would you just love the Lord? Or would you just talk to him?